0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online or listening to the podcast. We're very thankful for all of you. We're going to continue our series that we've called Values, where we've been looking at what the scriptures say about the values that we hold. All of us have values. All of us hold to certain things, and we think certain things are important. And we've seen that in the scriptures, we're to value the kingdom. We're to value people because they're created in the image of God. We are to value the church because Jesus loves his church. And ultimately, we're to value Jesus above everything. And I really want to drill down on that topic today. Because it's one of those things that is easy for us to say, yeah, 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 value people, value the church, value the kingdom. All of that, as we'll see, is trash compared to Jesus. Okay? Now, I know that sounds strong, but I'm getting that right out of the passage we're going to look at today, Philippians 3. We're going to be looking at Philippians 3, verses 7 through 17. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that the words that he wrote then are also words that God wants us to hear today, and here's what God's Word says. Paul writing, and he says, "...whatever gain I had, it is lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish." in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like in His death, that by all means possible, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Let me pray for us. Father, I read these words and I just recognize how far Short, I fall. That my love for Jesus, it's weak. Will you renew in me a greater love for Jesus? And will you renew in all who hear this message today a greater love for Jesus? That we really would see Jesus as our all in all. That we really would see the surpassing worth of Jesus. And that everything else would be less than him. Holy Spirit, we can't do this apart from you being at work in us. So work today for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for our good as the church, and may that good even spill over into the community around us that we would see great and wonderful things that you would do in and through us. Amen. On uh, September sixth, nineteen sixty-six, the first episode of Star Trek aired, not here in America, but in Canada on CTV. It was only a couple of days later that the first episode of Star Trek aired on NBC here in the States. And the world has not been the same since. Twelve TV series. Thirteen movies. Over 850 books. Hundreds and hundreds of comics and games. Two theme park attractions and two museum exhibits and an estimated $10.6 billion in revenue from the name Star Trek. It is one of the most recognizable and highest-grossing media franchises of all time. Star Trek can even boast of having an influence on civil rights since it was one of the first shows on television to have a multiracial cast. And then there's the cultural phenomenon of Trekkies. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with that terminology, Trekkies are people who are major fans. They're not just fans. They're major fans of Star Trek. Actually, there's debate about uh, among the diehard Star Trek fans as to whether they should be called Trekkies or Trekkers, but since I'm not either, I'm going to use the term Trekkie because that's the one I'm most familiar with. If you are a trekker, I apologize. (laughs) Trekkies are obsessed with all things Star Trek. They dress up like their favorite characters like Spock or Kirk or Picard or Data, Uh, They study and memorize trivial details of the show and or movies. For example, did you know James T. Kirk, what the T stands for? It's Tiberius. Some of you actually knew that. (laughs) Welcome, Trekkies. (laughs) Or Trekkers, whichever it may be. Some of them even learn how to speak the the, the non-real language, Klingon. And there's a whole, you can buy a book on Amazon to teach you how to speak Klingon so that you can go up to someone and you can say, Matka, which apparently means well done. I hope. Well, there are Trekkies and there are Trekkies. There's this guy, you may have heard of him, Anthony Sforza. He is a true Trekkie of Trekkies. This resident of Long Island, New York spent three years and over $500,000 to turn his basement into an almost identical replica of the bridge of the USS Enterprise from the show. Now, I would show you a picture at this point, but they're all copyrighted, and I didn't want to have to pay for them. So I'll just explain what's in there. The setup includes Starfleet uniforms, replica weapons, a life-size mannequin of a Klingon, and other memorabilia from the show. And when we think about that kind of Trekkie, like Mr. Sforza, we're probably thinking, that guy is obsessed. And I'm sure there's some of us in this room who would say, it's wrong to be obsessed with something so trivial. As Star Trek. Maybe you're even thinking, it's wrong to be obsessed with anything. Everything in moderation, right? Anything that dominates or preoccupies our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, it can't be good if it has that much control over us, can it? I can't escape the fact, though, that when I read this passage, I see that the Apostle Paul is dominated and preoccupied by something. And it's not something as trivial as Star Trek. Or sports. Or shopping. It's Jesus. Jesus. And Paul, pardon the way I'm going to put this, seems to be obsessed with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The value we place on Jesus when we're looking at him correctly can look a lot like obsession. The value that we put on Jesus can look a lot like obsession when we're looking at him correctly. I'm going to walk through this passage really quickly verse by verse, for just a moment, just so you can see this. Verse 7, Paul says, Whatever gain I had in the past, and if you look before this passage, you can see what he was talking about, but we're not going to get into that today, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What Paul is saying is, anything that was to my good, anything that could put a gold star by my name, anything that I could check off and say, look how great I was, he's saying, that's loss compared to Jesus. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Not just all the good things that I had before, but now everything, it's loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here is a man who says, nothing else matters as much as Jesus. Nothing. Verse 8 continues, For His sake, for the sake of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things. He gave it all up. He left His life as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He left His life as a, a leader in the Jewish faith. And He left everything to follow Jesus. And then He says... And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Interesting thing about this word rubbish. There are some scholars who would say, when we say rubbish, what he's talking about is trash. Stuff that you would just throw away. You know, whatever goes in your garbage can. There are others who would say, no, this is stuff that you would throw to dogs, and not like your cute little dog at home, but, you know, the scrampy little dogs that, like, run around, and they're just maybe rabbit or whatever. It's stuff that you would throw out to them. And then other scholars say, no, this verb, this word is best described as dung, excrement. But whichever way you see it, Paul is saying everything compared to Jesus is this, rubbish, trash, stuff that you throw to the dogs, dung. Verse 10, and he goes on to say that I may know him want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the church says amen I want to know Jesus so much that I have the power of the resurrection yes bring it Jesus I want that we can all understand that I want that kind of power don't you the power to raise the dead in my life yes but then Paul doesn't stop there does he that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Whoa, whoa, Paul. Hold up. I want some resurrection power, but I don't want to suffer becoming like him in his death. Hold up, Paul. Yeah, I want the power of the resurrection, but I don't want to have to die to get there. You see how silly that is? You can't have resurrection without death because one precedes the other. And Paul's saying, look, if it takes death in order to get the resurrection, I'll take it if it gives me Jesus. Again, this sounds like an obsessed man. And then verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here he's saying, look, I haven't gotten there. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I haven't become the super Christian. I don't have, you know, super Christian written across my chest, and I have like a cape, and I fly around, and I go, super Christian on the way to save the day. No, he's saying I'm not there yet, but I push. I keep moving. I keep going. I don't stop. Then verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Not yet. But one thing I do. Do you see that one thing? Thing I do. Now, he actually says several things after he says the one thing, but you see what it, he's talking about. The one thing is I'm after Jesus. I'm running hard after Jesus. Jesus is everything to me, and nothing else matters except for Jesus. So, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, put it all behind me, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm not just, you know lollygagging down the road. I'm straining, I'm pushing, I'm moving as hard as I can because I want Jesus. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a man who seems obsessed. And I'm not just interpreting it that way. John Calvin, all good Presbyterian sermons must have John Calvin somewhere in there. John Calvin in his commentary on Philippians says something very similar. He says, Paul insists on these things that he may convince the Philippians that he thinks of nothing but Christ. knows nothing else, desires nothing else, is occupied with no other subject of meditation. Again, we would call that obsession. This flies in the face of the advice, all things in moderation, doesn't it? You know that phrase that actually isn't in Scripture? It's a quote by a Christian All things in moderation. It's a good, wise statement, except from when it comes to Jesus. All things in moderation but not Jesus. You don't do Jesus in moderation. That's what Paul is saying here. And again, we might be tempted to think that obsession like this is the mark of an unstable mind. It's sort of like what happens in in Acts, where Paul is meeting with one of the rulers, and he says, you've lost your mind, Paul. Or it may be that we think, okay, that's immaturity. You're an immature person if you're obsessed with something that much because there's more to life than just Jesus. Yeah, there is more than just Jesus, but Jesus is central to it all. Jesus is central to it all. And so I want you to hear this, and this is gonna, if you have the same reaction I have to this, this is gonna sting a little. This Jesus obsession is actually a mark of maturity. This Jesus obsession is actually a mark of maturity. It is not immaturity. It is not losing your mind. It is maturity. You know how I know that? It's right here in the passage. Verse 15. Take a look at this very carefully. Paul has already said, everything is junk compared to Jesus. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. All right. I know that many of us tend to think that maturity, when it comes to Christian maturity, it's all about what you know, right? If you're that guy in a small group Bible study or in Sunday school that has all the answers, oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, Jesus said this. In Mark chapter 15, verse 30, it says this. And you think, oh, that must be a mature Christian. You know what, Satan can quote scripture Satan probably has better theology than anybody in this room so knowledge by itself is not maturity and there's some of you who are saying amen Stuart preach it because I know what maturity is maturity is action you do stuff you get out there and you move and you do and you you work that's maturity You can do a lot of work and it not be for Jesus. And it not do a lot of good either. History is full of people who thought they were doing the will of God and they actually were hurting people and rubbing their sin in God's face all the while while saying, I'm I'm following Jesus. And then there's some of you, you know, the smart ones. You're saying, well, it must be a combination of the both, right? It's intelligence and it's, and it's action. It, it's, it's what you know and what you do. You can know a lot and still be wrong, and you can do a lot and still be wrong, and you put those together and you're right? Really? Is that the way we think? Sure, Action and knowledge is a part of maturity. But what, what Paul is saying here, at the heart of maturity is your relationship with Jesus. It's how you relate to Jesus. How do you think about Jesus? How do you see Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? That is central to what Christian maturity is. And again, if you're thinking, well, Stuart, just that one verse, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Maybe he was talking about something else. Well, verse 17 is there too. Brothers, join in imitating me. So even if you could throw away verse 15, you still have to deal with 17. He's just said in the same chapter, I think of Jesus more greater than anything else. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is wonderful. I want Jesus more than anything. Imitate me. Be like me. Love Jesus that much. I have used this quote before, so some of you will hear it, some of you will remember it, because it makes such a big impact. But I really do believe that... um, D.A. Carson hits the nail on the head for the American church when he says, I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy. But not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished. Oh, this is the one that hits me. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. Lord Jesus, forgive us for wanting $3 worth of what you give us. Now that stung a little bit, didn't it? But let me tell you, Part I'm just going to give you a little sneak peek of the, the good news here, all right? before we get into the next point. In verse 15 and 16, Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And you're probably going, oh, I thought I was mature, but I guess I'm not. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Say you're thinking, oh, well, I don't see Jesus that way. and I'm, I, I, I guess I'm okay. God's going to reveal something different to you. God's going to do this because it's God's work of salvation, not my work, not your work. God is the one who works salvation in us. And if you are going off the wrong path, if you're not seeing Jesus that way, guess what? God's coming to you and saying, I'm going to change you from the inside out so that you'll see Jesus for what he's really worth. And that's the point that I want to get to next. When we value Jesus above everything else, when we actually do this, when we value Jesus above everything else, we are demonstrating to everyone around us something of His true worth. His true worth. If I went around the room and asked Seasoned Christians in this room, is Jesus worth more than your house? You would say yes, because it's Sunday. That's what you're supposed to say on Sunday. Is Jesus worth more than your reputation? Oh, yeah, of course, because it's Sunday. Is Jesus worth more than your family? Family. You might go, I think the answer is yes. But it makes me uncomfortable. If we really do believe that Jesus is of infinite worth, then the answer to that always is a resounding yes. Jesus is worth more than anything And everything all piled up into one giant pile, even if it doesn't seem like it. I I don't know if you read this in Time Magazine a few years back, but they reported a story of this woman who went to like this yard sale kind of thing. It was like a junk sale. And she found this costume jewelry, and she bought it for $13. It was a giant ring. It wasn't that big, but it was big. Giant ring. Giant ring. She thought it looked nice, and so she bought it, and then something caused her to have it uh, appraised, even though she knew it was just costume, jewelry. And she found out that it was actually a giant 26-carat cushion-shaped white diamond from the 19th century worth half a million dollars. Folks, that's sort of like what... Jesus is like to us sometimes. God in the flesh. If you were to look at Him, you would have thought, He's just a normal everyday guy, but He's worth more than just an everyday guy. God in the flesh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Creator of all things who put on creation in order to save creation, to save you and me and people all over the world. This is our Jesus. The one we say we come here to worship. He is worth thousands upon thousands upon thousands of more than anything that we have or want because He is God in the flesh. Come to us, Emmanuel. God with us. The one who poured out His own blood and died. ...to make us His. Another quote that I love to share... ...I have shared it numerous times in the past... ...and I will honestly share it numerous times in the future. And if you get tired of it... ...tough. Because <laughs> it's one of my favorite quotes of all time... ...from something other than a scripture... It's from C.S. Lewis's book, The Way to Glory. And it always brings me back to this purpose of thinking, I need to redirect my thinking because I can be so easily distracted from what's most important and what's most beautiful and what's most wonderful. Here's what C.S. Lewis says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be far too easily pleased anymore. He's talking about going to the ocean. I know there's, there's many times where our family has gone to uh, the beach... And there's always that road right before the beach. You know, it's it's like there's one one road and then there's the beach, but first you have all these buildings in the way. And we're driving to try to find the entrance to the beach, and you can see little glimpses, little glimpses of the ocean. And you go, oh, that's so beautiful, and then there's something that distracts you, a big building in the way. I feel like that's what life is like. Little glimpses of Jesus, little glimpses of His true worth, little glimpses of the glory and the wonder. And I go, oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, look at that. And I get distracted. I don't want to be like that. And I don't want you to be like that. I want all of us to be able to focus our eyes on the One who has made us His own. And if you don't, and if you don't, if you're not there yet, and if you're thinking, I remember I preached a sermon very similar to this one years ago, and I remember one person came up to me and said, I'm not where you are. I'm not even where I was, unfortunately. Verse 12, this is what keeps me moving. This is what keeps me hoping. This is what keeps me going. Not that I have already obtained this. I haven't, or I'm already perfect. I certainly am not, but I press on, okay? I'm trying to make it my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, has made me His own. Jesus has said, yes, Stuart, I know. You like to wander Like the hymn, you're prone to wander. You're prone to leave the God you love, but I've made you my own. I died for you. I rose from the dead for you. And you're mine now. Remember what you said last week, Stuart? I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That is about my love to you, not your love to me. I want your love for me to be greater, but we'll get there. We'll get there. But right now, what you need to know to keep moving, to keep running, to keep pressing forward, is I've got this. I've got you. And nothing can snatch you out of my hand. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? If you're thinking, well, Stuart, that's great. Loving Jesus more than everything, I'd love to do that, but I don't know how to start. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. How do I stir up love for Jesus in my heart? You know, lots of different people could say lots of different things. I'm going to make it really simple and easy for all. Well, maybe not easy, but simple. Easy to understand. Your action point, if you're really willing, Pray for the maturity to have a Jesus obsession. That's it. Pray for the maturity to have a Jesus obsession. Be able to say something similar to St. Patrick's breastplate prayer that Christ Be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all who love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. You see, the central thing there is Christ, Jesus. Let Jesus be everything to me. If you're brave enough to pray that prayer today, I believe God is going to answer it. You may have to go through a little suffering. You may have to go through a little pain. You may have to lose some things that you really like right now, but ultimately you'll find that what you have in Jesus is so much better. So folks, let's grow. This is my prayer for all of us. Let's grow in knowing, in loving, in serving, and becoming more like Jesus. Our all in all. I'm going to take just a minute or two to pray that this would be the case. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it's easy to sing songs about you are all in all. That all we have is Christ. It's a lot harder to have that really be our heart attitude. Would you give us the maturity to be obsessed with you? To find that nothing really satisfies us except you. And that even all the things that we enjoy in this life, they are simply those things that point us back to you, the source of infinite joy. And Holy Spirit, I know that many of us, maybe even most of us, maybe even all of us, we're not there. Our hearts are just not that captured by you. As you promise in your word, reveal to us your truth in such a way that it changes us from the inside out, that our hearts are strangely warmed and we find ourselves saying, I want Jesus more. Let that be true of me. Let that be true of these here. Let that be true of those who listen to the sermon. Let that be true of your people, that there really would be strong, powerful revival of your presence in our lives that would spill out into the world around us. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen.